Well, good morning. I'm Joel, one of the pastors. It's good to be with you today. And uh, right now, I want to introduce you to some friends. Um, and uh, Riley and Cassie are friends from Connecticut. Can you please say good morning to these friends of mine? Um, the, um, they've never said it that well just to me, so they like you a lot. That's good. Um, he is a pastor in Connecticut. Uh, ironically, he came roughly the same time I was leaving Connecticut. If you don't know, I pastored outside of New York for quite a while. Um, the difference is he's from northern Connecticut, from Oklahoma, but he's been in there for 10 years. Um, and so he's from northern Connecticut, which means they really consider me a traitor. I'm more New York than Connecticut, we, right? We actually like the Celtics and the Patriots and you guys all Giants fans and Okay, whatever. so we're about to pray for him. We're not now. Um, <laughs> if you no, I just have to say thanks for Tom Brady. That's, we're just that's happy very about true. That. There you go. And they would resonate with that probably more than the Word of God. That's what they know, Michigan football. Um, these are amazing people. And let me tell you now, this is, these are amazing people, um, people who love Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to introduce you to them uh, very, very briefly because um, these are some of the pastors, um, leaders that we're partnering with in New England. Uh, you've heard me talking about it. This church has adopted roughly 50 churches in the state of Michigan, in the state of Connecticut. We have about 65 we're already helping with in the state of Michigan, actually. Um, but we're partnering with them, supporting them, and really we're just adding gas to what God's already doing there. Um, ironically, of those 50 churches, this church is larger than all of those combined. So that tells you the status of faith and Christianity in the Northeast. Um, and so what we want to do is keep the eyes of Chapel Point off of Chapel Point. And so we invest heavily in other people who love the Lord, who are like-minded and like-hearted theologically, and that's these guys. And so I just wanted to let you see a face because it, we're not going to do this right now, but in the future you're going to see some key leaders on this stage, and they're going to look at you and say, how many of you are being called to leave Michigan and to move with us to start a movement of God in the Northeast? because that's the church that we want to be. Um, and, uh, and so you can start praying about that now because God does that in different ways for all different people. But what I've actually asked, we've already prayed for him a good bit and for this family and for the three of them, they have a little girl. Um, but would you just pray for this church right now? Let's do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come and I ask you to humbly send your spirit to not only fill but empower Chapel Point. There is a mission that you have called them to, and it's transformed lives. And I pray, Father, for the person sitting in this room that is yet to experience that transformation, that your spirit would have a meeting with them today. I pray, Father, as well for those that are on mission with you, that you would empower them, as Joel says, pour gas on what you're doing in them. And Father, we pray that you would use this church to change not only West Michigan, but also New England, and also Greece, and also the Philippines. God, use this church to bring a new awakening to your people and a new awakening to this nation. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you. Thank you. Um, before I jump into a passage today, I, you know that a lot of times, even a couple weeks ago, I gave a sermonette to a sermon. Um, I'm not going to give a sermonette today, but I do want to address something that's recently happened and taken place um, because it's something that this church is probably more heavily involved in than most of you recognize. Um, the Supreme Court this last week um, overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, 
it's a it's a big thing. It's a big thing. Um, but I need to address it very very quickly. Um, and one, just to help you understand some of what that means. Um, in terms of the, I don't really care. Oh, I got to be so careful. I don't, I don't really much less care about our Constitution outside of the fact. I care about the Word of God. We have an American Constitution, which I'm very grateful for. I have family members who died for what it stands for. So that matters to me a great deal. So when I say I don't care about the Constitution, it's just this, this trumps everything. This takes priority over everything. But Roe v. Wade was actually unconstitutional. Um, what it does is it gives the states the right to make a decision for themselves about abortion. There's, I think there's 13 states right now that automatically it is now illegal in. Um, I think roughly about twice that many will say illegal in those number of states. The others it will be legal in. So it's going to create other confusion issues, etc. But that's what it means. Now... Um, in its simplest form. We can get into all kinds of stuff on that. You also, though, need to know this, and I addressed it two weeks ago. Um, what we want to do is celebrate the fact that we, ce we celebrate life because God celebrates life. Do you remember this? Yes? And so we value the fact. We know that at three weeks, a baby, their heart is beating with their own blood at three weeks old. It's fast. And so that matters to us deeply. However, there are people sitting in here right now who have had abortions, and you are loved by God. There are people in this room right now who have forced someone else to have an abortion, and you are loved by God. And we are all sinners. Pastor Nathan spoke to it so well in speaking about communion. We're all broken. We're all sinners, but we also have this beautiful thing called grace and mercy and redemption through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And so our posture is one of celebration, but it's also one of understanding that there are a lot of people who are struggling with what they've done in their own life and that they're very focused on one thing and they're trying to determine how to move past those things and we want to help you. We want to help you walk in the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's our posture at Chapel Point. We celebrate that because we celebrate life and what just took place but we also resonate with anybody who is broken, who has made um, different decisions in their life that we don't believe are God-honoring because we've all been there, every single one of us. And so we join together and move forward with the gospel. That is our posture at Chapel Point. It will not change. And the society around us, what they don't need are a bunch of people saying, we won and you lost. What we need are a bunch of people saying, we just value everything that this speaks to. And so because we value what this speaks to, we value the decisions that the Supreme Court just made. We value that differently. But no matter what you've done in the past, you still belong with the family of God. That is our posture. So I want to help you understand what, a, what we believe is a biblical stance regarding those issues. Yes? 1 Kings chapter 18, who's ready for the Word of God? Let's go. This is one of my favorite texts, um, and there's a lot of information here. Now, one of the problems that we can have with the Old Testament passages, it's not the letters of Paul. So let me talk about the letters of Paul very, very, very quickly. Um, 
letters of Paul, what they do is they're so good at just saying, hey, here's what I want you to do, and it gives you an ABC. Don't, have you ever made fun of a pastor because, you know, they're about to give five points that all start with the same letter? You ever made fun of me for that? Go ahead and raise your hand if you've made fun of me for that. Anybody? Okay, a couple of you who need to know Jesus still. It's all good. Um, so, like, we know what happened. It's so easy to do with Paul. Old Testament, though, is really just a story. And what we do is we learn different principles from those stories. That's why we have these operating principles that we often go to. It's kind of like every time God speaks, it demands a, yeah, it demands a response. So every time God speaks into your life, you have to respond. Ignoring him is still responding. And so you're going to be forced today to look at this story, to look at what's taking place as you learn about it, as you hear about it, and determine whether or not you're responding in a biblical manner. If you're responding in a way in which God wants you to respond. So uh, one of the themes for today's message, I'm just going to call it lots of themes as we walk through this story. And I'll go ahead and let you know a key theme as we jump into it. And these are some cool things for you to write down. They will help you evaluate your entire life. One is this. If God is God, follow him. If something else is your God, it will fail. That is what you're going to see today. If God is your God, follow him. If something else is your God, it's going to fail. It's going to lead you astray. It's going to, at some point, fall off the cliff. And you're going to get upset and go, why isn't this working? And you're going to have to have more of it, right? If you get a little, it's kind of like wealth. If you get a little bit of wealth, then you need a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. It's no different. If God is your God, follow him. But if anything else is your God, it will end up failing you. You're going to see that prevalently spoken today in the Word of God. And we're going to learn what it is from Elijah. This is the story of Elijah, what it is to break the mold. We're in a series right now for this summer called Break the Mold. We're going to be looking at biblical characters and figures who break the mold of society and the community, the culture around them. They break the mold. And these are people we need to be learning from. Now, here's a few of the players in this story. I'm going to spend the next five minutes or so giving you some back, uh, back story because so many of us don't understand uh, what was taking place. Here are the four key players. You can scribble them down if you want to. Four key players in the story that we're preaching through today. One, you have King Ahab. King Ahab is the seventh king of Israel. He ruled for 22 years. King Ahab married one of the other key players. Who did he marry? Do you know? Jezebel. Like when you hear the name Jezebel, you should go, oh. Right? She introduced worship to idols, other gods, Baal, um, or Baal is another way to pronounce it. Um, and uh, it depends on which Old Testament prophet you had. Um, and so as you look at this, you've got King Ahab, seventh king of Israel. You have Jezebel, someone he married. Uh, and then you have Elijah, who is a great prophet. It's a prophet from God. Consider one of the great prophets, and you have minor prophets. I'm always mocked for the fact that my name's Joel, which means Joel is just a minor prophet. And I'm like, oh, you're just a minor prophet. And I'm like, well, you're not one at all. Um, and <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those kind of things that we always have fun with. And then on top of that, you have Obadiah. Obadiah is a really interesting person in this story. Obadiah is someone who worked for King Ahab, yet he loved the Lord. And let's put it like this. Obadiah consistently lived in something what we would call today a pickle. Or rock between a hard, uh, lived in, a, in between a rock and a hard place. It's just kind of, because when you work with a king who is just evil, 
um, then all of a sudden, and you love the Lord, you can put it in a delicate situation. So maybe you work for somebody and you want to speak about Jesus and they hate God and they hate Jesus. And so you're like, how do I do both and still keep my job? And you live in a pickle. Obadiah is your guy. And you're going to learn some things from him. A little more background. First Kings starts telling the story of all the kings following David. First king of, the people wanted a king, right? And so God said, fine, you, I'll let you have kings, but just know you're going to regret it. <laughs> so they ended up regretting it big time. You have Saul, then you have David, then you have David's son, Solomon. So here, here you go. you got these kings. And what First Kings does is starts telling the story of all the kings following David and continues on from the book of Samuel. And in the first two, time, uh, first two chapters of the first kings, we find Solomon taking the reins from David. And his highlight was probably, uh, some of us know that he asked God for wisdom. I would say that's his highlight. Because around chapter 11, things, I mean, the wheels fell off the wagon in a significant way for King Solomon. He went astray big time. And we see it very prevalently. We, he introduced false gods and much more with idols. In fact, it led, in the long term, it led to the two different kingdoms. If you don't already know, you have the southern kingdom, which is Judah, right? Southern kingdom, and then you have northern kingdom, which is Israel. Well, one of, one of the, all the worship of kings and uh, different kings and idols and gods and all these different things, what it did, um, that was established by Jeroboam because Rehoboam, which was one of the kings, it, he just jumped in with all the evil, and he started adding new taxes, and he's enforcing slavery to build all the different worship places, to uh, false gods, everything else. And so Jeroboam uh, is like, no more, so he starts the northern kingdom. That's how you have the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. All right? So all this is happening because they wanted a king. They wanted to be ruled and directed and instructed by someone and something other than the one true God. So God allowed them to do it, but they regretted it. So this is all happening. Now let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you come to King Ahab. Mary Jezebel, she brought with her devotion to Baal, or Baal, or Bel. all right? So brought devotion to that. Now this, here's how it happened. So a lot of the kings, in order to gain um, value and to gain kind of a greater stature, they would end up marrying the daughters of all different types of kings all over the place. And so that's who Jezebel was. And Jezebel had a devotion to Baal. And so Jezebel brought this worship of Baal to the people. And he allowed it. He allowed that to come into the picture. Now, what's interesting is that Baal was the god of fertility and of rain. Fertility, I think that's really interesting, even with what just happened with our Supreme Court. But also rain, because guess what the people were in? A drought. And they had no rain. Ahab even allowed her to build a temple in the capital city in Samaria in order to worship Baal. Um, it became the state religion, and so yes... Um, one way to think about it is the worship of God was in disarray. There was a string of godless monarchs. Now you're going, why is this happening? 
They just got, I mean, it, it didn't seem like, you got to remember, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years here. But they were delivered out of captivity from Egypt. They came into the promised land, and it didn't take them long to be full of themselves and go, right? It didn't take them long for them to instead say, look at how God delivered us, they, it, for them to go, hey, we hated it, and we complained, and we just grumbled the entire time, but look at what we did. And as soon as you draw attention to what you have done rather than what God has blessed you with, you are going down a path very, very quickly of pride and insecurity and arrogance. And that's what the people, is what's happened throughout world history. So you have the string of godless monarchs. And King Ahab, in chapter 16, verse 30, is actually described as doing more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Just evil people who were completely absorbed with self, with self. But now here's the good news, is that God is still God amongst the godless. That's one of the other themes that we're going to learn today, that God is still God amongst the godless. So if you're walking through life right now and going, where's God? What's going on? Know this. God is still God amongst the godless. He is still worthy of worship and praise. He has still gone nowhere at all. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is still God amongst the godless. And we can be encouraged by that. Well, and being reminded of this, Finally, let me tell you with just some of the history here. Elijah arrived on the scene somewhat abruptly. Um, if you go um, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, if you go to that passage, the chapter prior, what we find is Elijah comes, the Tishbite, right? And he goes to Ahab and he speaks these words. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now this matters, why? Because there is a string of godless monarchs I've already spoken to. And so nobody's listening to God. God, where was Yahweh? Yahweh was like, it's like, come on. Nobody was reaching out to Yahweh. They were all serving their own desires. They're all worshiping other gods. So God gave prophets in order to speak biblical and godly truth to people, to the people and to the kings. So Elijah shows up on the scene as a prophet and says, hey, King Ahab, guess what? You're not going to have any dew. There's a drought. You're not going to have any rain. And yeah, your wife Jezebel is introducing Baal, and that's a god of rain, but your fake god can't do anything about it. So I'm sure that that meeting was very cordial and very warm and inviting, all right? Fast forward to 1 Kings 18, verse 1, and what you have is after many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab, King Ahab. So he can go show himself to Ahab. It says, I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. I, I, this throws me back, if you would, if you're writing any notes, I uh, might want to scribble down Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 17. I'm not going to turn there. I'm just going to let you know what's going on. Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 17. This is God speaking to Moses. And I think there's a throwback here because God's speaking to Moses and saying, listen, if you worship idols, if you, if you worship other gods, I'm not going to bless your families 
There's not going to be any rain. You're not going to have anything for your crops. And that's what's happening here. And so now Elijah is echoing these words, these sentiments to King Ahab. Now there's going to be rain, but he's, this story is going to be important because you're going to see how the people turn back to God and then God blessed. This is important for us. Can, can I just invite us? I told you, there's not like a A, B, C, and they all rhyme kind of thing. Here are the people of God, and they've completely forgotten God. And what we must learn from this is, friends, you're going to see very, very clearly, very clearly. I know we talk about this alternate chapel point. We think that Christianity and faith in God is a spectrum. And you're somewhere on that scale, but we're all on it and we're all good. It's not. There is a line. You are either for God or you are against God. And you're going to see this highlighted. And it's going to flash in front of you. What you're going to learn is that if you stand for God, though, guess what comes with it? Opposition. This is a good way to think about it. Let's go to this next slide because it says, Opposition often accompanies instruction from the Lord, as instruction from the Lord stands in opposition to those seeking something other than God. We would, be, we would serve ourselves well if we would stop being surprised that there's opposition for standing to the Lord because the culture does not stand for the Lord. We need to stop being surprised. Opposition often accompanies instruction from the Lord as instruction from the Lord stands in opposition to those seeking something other than God. So here's the passage, and I'm going to run through it. 1 Kings 18, and God has come to Elijah. I'm going to give you just a quick summary of it. And he goes to him and says, hey, listen, go show yourself to King Ahab. Let him know I'm going to send rain upon the earth. So Elijah goes to do this. But yet there had been a famine. There had been a drought there. And so Ahab called Obadiah, and he had instructed him, hey, listen, Obadiah, remember, he's a guy who works for him but loves the Lord. I want you to go throughout the country, and I want you to find anything you can in terms of something that we can help our livestock with, to save the horses, the mules, everything we can. So what they did is the two of them, they divided the land between the two of them, verse 6. Ahab went in one direction, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. Because they're doing everything they can to look for some type of water because there's famine. So Obadiah was on the way, and behold, Elijah met him. He runs into Elijah. And Obadiah recognized him, fell on his face, and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And Elijah answered him, It's I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And his response is really interesting. Obadiah is told by Elijah, Go tell Ahab, I'm back. And Obadiah is going, have I sinned against you because I like breathing? I really don't want to have to go back to the king who does not like you at all, and he's been trying to kill you, and now you want me to go speak on your behalf before the king? I don't really want to do that. So Obadiah speaks up. He calls this out. He's like, have I sinned against you that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. He's been looking all over the place to kill you, and now you want me to go speak on your behalf. It's not going to go well for me. And now you want me to go do this and say, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I've gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you where you need to be. So 
all this is happening. Um, it speaks of Jezebel, who's been killing prophets. You need to know this as well. Jezebel has been killing the prophets of God left and right. Remember, that's the wife of Ahab. Evil, evil, evil. Anybody who represented Jesus, God, I'm saying God, but Jesus for us today, right? Trinity, all the same, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Anybody representing God was being killed. Obadiah is a guy who had even, because of his love for the Lord, had taken a hundred of the prophets and hid them in caves, 50 in each, because he loved the Lord. So he's willing to, to act on behalf of God. But man, I told you he was in a pickle, right? It's a hard situation to be in. I'm not judging him. Uh, what I'm saying is this is a hard situation to be in. He reminds him, has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave? I fed them with bread and water, and now you tell me to go to my Lord. Behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said to him, verse six, uh, 15, 16, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab, so now the two of them finally come together. Ahab and Elijah. And Ahab, this is amazing, he sees Elijah and he calls him out. He labels him very, very quickly. And we love our labels today, don't we? Absolutely love them. He says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? You troubler, you're causing me problems. I've been looking everywhere because Elijah knows this. He's like, no, I've been looking everywhere to kill you because you're a troubler for me because me and all my wives, we have other gods and you've got this one God and you're speaking against everything that we're trying to do because we want to live for ourselves. You're a troubler of Israel. And Elijah speaks up and he says, I have not troubled Israel. You have. Why? Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. You have followed the balls. So therefore, I want you to do me a favor, King Ahab. I want you to send me all of these prophets that you have. Because it says that there are 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. And they all eat at Jezebel's table. And I want you to send me all of these prophets that you have. The 400 prophets, 450 prophets of all, I want you to send them to me at Mount Carmel. And let's just see what happens. Now, that's roughly, roughly the number of people, might be a few more of you, just on the floor in this room. So imagine I'm Elijah, and what we're going to see is a showdown between all of you and me. And by the way, not to spoil anything, but I win. All right? So all of you who speak for your gods and you're, you're going to speak for your kings and your idols, and here you are, and you're like, okay, let's see what happens here. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel. Everybody came with these prophets because Ahab is thinking, man, Elijah's about to get destroyed. He's challenging all these other prophets of Baal, and so I'm going to send everybody to watch this. This is going to be good. And Elijah comes near to the people. Here comes Elijah all by himself. And he said to the people this, and this is something, these are the people of God, the people from Israel, of Israel. You've got to hear this. He says, 
He doesn't like, hey, how you guys been? Hope everything's going well for you. How's your new property? Like, how's everything going with school? He doesn't, no small talk. No small talk. He just jumps in and he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. How long will you? He's looking at the people of God saying, listen, you keep flip-flopping. Make up your mind. You're limping around and you're coming. Make it contextual for today. You're coming to church on a Sunday morning and you're saying, oh, I love Jesus. I speak Jesus. I love Jesus. He's all I love. The word of God is so great. And then you leave and you live life however you want to live life. And you have idols and you have gods and you're limping around. How long are you going to go around limping between two different opinions? Make up your mind. If God is God, follow God. If you have another God, follow him. But he will not be enough. We need to hear that today. If you're trying to find fulfillment and hope and peace and contentment in anything other than the one true God, it will fail. It will. And we would do well to look in the mirror to know and to be honest with ourselves of whether or not we actually have idols in our life that we're trying to find contentment and fulfillment from. He looks at the people of God, of Israel, and says, how long are you going to keep doing this? It's not a spectrum. Either you are for God, there is a line. You are either for God or you're against God. It's one of the two. And this is always revealing. You ever had a kid get in trouble? And if you're a parent, the answer is yes. All right? And so you have a kid get in trouble, and you look at him and you say, did you do this? And they don't say anything. It's like they just constantly talk except for in that moment. Anybody know, resonate, anybody? They say nothing. You know, when they're silent, one of the things that that shows us is this thing called what? It starts with a G and ends in ilt. And the people did not answer him a word. They've been flip-flopping. They've been trying to do both, trying to get, they, they, wanted, they want God to bless them and to relieve the drought and to bless their crops and their families, but they want to live for themselves. Friends, it does not work that way. Now, this is not a popular message, even in churches today. It is not a popular message. That's why the majority of people who come here, if you just want to come once, twice a month, and, oh, that's kind of nice music, and um, that guy's got nice glasses, and you, like, they don't, you don't keep coming. So we have such engagement in this church because we're, we're all saying, you know what? We know it doesn't work that way, and we want to stand for God no matter what. Let's go. And when we look at this passage, then it continues on, and it says, listen, Elijah says to the people, I, if I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls, and he gives instructions. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take two bulls. Remember, it's all of you versus me. I win. Um, I'm going to give you a bull. I'm going to take a bull. He says, you get to choose for yourselves. You get to do, cut it in pieces, lay it on wood, put no fire to it, and I'm going to prepare the other bull, lay it on wood, and put no fire to it. So we're going to do the same thing to him. Cut them up. Fire over here. We're going to put it on wood over here. No fire, though. We're not doing that. 
and you're going to call upon your God and your idols. I'm going to call upon mine, and we're going to see what works out better. All the people said, sure, that works. Let's play. It's well spoken, he says. Verse 24. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God and put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them. They prepared it, called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. They're calling on that God. Oh, Baal, answer us, hear us, do this, light this thing on fire, let's go. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome, right? It just says, oh, Baal, answer us. But it says that there is no voice, no one answered. And they limped. There's that word again, limped. Some of us are limping and we don't even know. And they limped around the altar, verse 26, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. Now, this is one of the reasons I like Elijah. Mocking and harassment is my spiritual gift. We all know that. And here's Elijah mocking them. And this is the word he says, Cry louder. All of you chant more, for he is God. If, for he is a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself. This is the word of God. I'm not making this up. You'd be like, I can't believe he said that. That was scripture. I want to be very clear. That was scripture. So he's like, he's musing himself. He's relieving himself. Or maybe he's taking, he's on a journey, it says, or he fell asleep. He went down the street to the new gas station. He'll be back in a second. Maybe he just fell asleep. Maybe you just need to chant louder. So he's mocking them. And they cried louder. So much they're cutting themselves. And they're, as was their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as the midday passed, they just kept doing it. They raved on until the time of the offering. And there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And some of us are busy calling out for fulfillment and life and things where there will never be a true answer. You're trying to live in both worlds, one for God and one for self. It doesn't work. And so then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And he took 12 stones, each representing one of the tribes of Israel. There are 12 tribes of Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around about the altar as great as would contain all of their seed, two sheaves of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four, now, he says, fill four jars of water and bring them to me. Now, you've got to remember, there was a drought. So the people are going, there's a drought. We don't exactly have water to spare. But they did what he wanted. And he didn't talk about all, he was just, I think he was spiritually audacious. And you know his love of God because he called him out before God answered. Because he knew the power of his God was worth still calling out even before God answered. Sometimes we wait for God to do what we want and then we say, there, see? And we don't have the courage to say, let me tell you about what my God's going to do. 
So he says, bring four jars of water. And he takes those four jars of water, pours it all over the place, wants to just drench it. Because remember, it's supposed to catch on fire. He says, do it again. So they go get more water. Do it again. Remember, drought. He says, do it again. Third time. They go get more water. Pour it on everything. Remember, there's a drought. It says, the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So even the trench now that's made there with these 12 stones is full of water. Like it's standing water is what it's conveying here. If you look in the Hebrew, it's standing water. And at the time of the offering of the... Elijah's doing something amazing here. Elijah the prophet comes in and says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. I'm simply obeying you. Answer me. That, these, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. I believe in that moment their hearts turned back, and as a result, this is what comes. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Licked up the water that was in the trench. Licked up the water that was in the trench. The people turned their hearts back to God, and God came amongst them and said, Wow, I am God. I will lick up the water. I will do all that I have said that I will do. Quit limping along and commit yourself fully to me. It says when all the people saw it, here's the response. Every time God speaks, it demands a what? And then all of a sudden, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So I keep saying, friends, if God is God, follow him. And if something else is your God, it will fail. You must understand this. So we're forced to ask ourselves at least a couple of questions. Are you limping around? Wishy-washy would be another easier way to think about it. Because if my kids never obey me and they say, but dad, I want you to do anything you want, should I listen to them, yes or no? Answer the, please answer. If they do live life however they want, they ignore my instruction and they never are obedient to their father, should I still try to meet all their needs? No. That would be really bad parenting. And there's so many of us today, we want God to step into our lives and to bless us and to show us his favor and to do all these awesome things, but we are still living for self. We're limping, that's limping around. doesn't work. And then the other question that we have to examine, because it's an amazing passage, do we, verse 37, do we need to turn our hearts back? Do you need to turn your heart back to God? 
Have you been hit today and say, oh, that's probably me. I, say, I, I, I mean, I talk, I, I say I'm a Christian, but I really live for self. And I'm limping around and I need to turn my heart toward God. If you don't, I'll tell you what follows. Verse 39, last verse here. section. Verse 40, sorry. So these people called out the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And so then Elijah says, seize the prophets of Baal. Seize all those people worshiping a false God. Let not one of them escape. They seized them. Elijah brought them down to the brook and slaughtered them there. Death follows anything. At some point, death follows anything other than the one true God. Elijah broke the mold. And he stood by himself. And he called it out, stop limping around, turn your hearts toward God. He is the one true God. And he broke the mold by boldly believing, by fervently praying and fully trusting in God. It's God asking you to break the mold. So Lord, I come before you and I ask that you help us break the mold. I know we covered and walked through so much today, God. But just take something and step into each of our hearts, each of our minds to help us process what you're wanting for each one of us and for us as your church, as brothers and sisters in Christ. May we turn our hearts to you. And God, if there are some of us that are still limping around, may we find sure footing with you.